You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mom Halo podcast. I'm your host, Alana Kafitz, and I'm so excited because we have a very special guest tonight. I'd like to introduce you to Marissa Stapley. Hi, Marissa. Welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, Marissa, I know who you are, but I want you to please tell our fans, followers, and friends who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Please, Marissa, go ahead. Okay, so my name is Marissa Stapley, and I'm an author, former journalist and beauty editor turned author, I think about 10 years ago. So my first novel was called Mating for Life. Uh, I wrote Things to Do When It's Raining, The Last Resort, and most recently, Lucky, which got very lucky and was picked by Reese Witherspoon for her book club in December. Yeah. Uh, I'm now a New York Times bestselling author. It's very exciting. I also write holiday rom-coms as Maggie Knox with another Canadian author named Karma Brown. So uh, our first novel, The Holiday Swap, was out in October. It's a national bestseller. We have another one coming next fall and I have more books in the pipeline. And I'm also a mom of two teenagers now who were toddlers when I first started writing. And uh, I do have to say it's gotten somewhat easier now that they're a little less hands-on physically, but of course, teenagers are more emotionally hands-on. So there's that. And I live in Toronto and I'm originally from Stouffville. Awesome. Thank you for taking us through that. Okay. So take us back to your first, your, your sort of forte into writing. When was the moment when you sort of realized like you were going to pen something, that literary moment? When did it happen? What sort of inspired that first push into the, that sort of the ecosystem of, of, of wanting to author? How did that all come to be? So I've always, I come from a family of journalists. My grandfather wrote a syndicated column for the Toronto Star. Um, my dad was a community news paper reporter, then eventually owned his own newspaper. And my grandmother on my dad's side was a freelance magazine journalist. And um, so I always was in that world. And, and my, my, my dad and my grandparents would say, you, you, you have the writing gene in you. So, um, so I went to journalism school. I worked at my dad's newspaper in high school and beyond. I went to Ryerson for journalism. So I always knew I wanted to be a writer and I always had it in my mind. It was kind of a childhood dream that I wanted to write a novel. Um, But I really didn't quite know how to go about doing it because as many people who have tried to write a novel may know, it's really easy to come up with an idea that you think is a good idea and maybe even start writing. But when you start writing, you're like, oh, this does not sound like a book because there's what you don't realize at the beginning is how much goes into making a book, a book, which is drafts, edits, et cetera. Um, So I never, I would write little things and little ideas, but it wasn't until I had had my second child, I had my kids really close together. Um, So they were only 17 months apart. And I actually, I think I might've been pregnant with my daughter and I thought, oh boy, I haven't done it. I haven't written a novel. I'm 30. I should, get on this. So I had an idea uh, and I just started kind of writing 
a little bit secretly. Um, my husband was always really supportive. So it's kind of a long story. <laughs> I don't know if I should, if you, so I, you know, the first book I wrote did not get published. The publishing company went out of business. And at that point I had two very, very young children. Um, so I tried to keep writing, but it was so hard to keep it up. And then I realized eventually I probably just needed to get a job. So I worked at a magazine and then would sometimes close my door at lunchtime and work on my book. Um, and that eventually became Mating for Life, which was my first novel that did get published. Uh, and I just really haven't looked back since. So it's been, you know, an interesting and complicated dance between being a mom and, and being a writer. And I do have an incredibly supportive partner. And my kids, as they've grown older, understand what I do. They're yes. very supportive and understanding about it as well. So... Marissa, I think I think it's fascinating, and I'll and I'll, I I will say we want to hear more. And the reason I want to hear more is because so much of our mom community that as our fans and followers do skew quite young and are in that early stage where maybe that dream seems impossible, right? And maybe they did exactly as you're saying encountered some moment of like hardness or uh, trial tribulation that they couldn't necessarily see the light and they had to make a career pivot or they had to make a personal life pivot. And the thing that they sort of were dreaming about, they put on hold. So I think this is, to be honest, it's I'm, I'm, I'm sucked in. Like, I mean, I, I want to hear more about, about that early stage and age, because I think it's riveting um, and so relatable. So please continue. Yeah. I mean, I think if I could go back and talk to my 30 year old self, I'm now 43. Um, I would just say I got advice at one point from a publicist at Simon and Schuster, uh, I think around my second book who said something like publishing is a, is a marathon. It's not a race. And, and you can apply that to any career or any dream um, because you get something in your head that you're going to do. And it could be writing a novel or it could be starting a business, right? And anything. And you start thinking about it. And if you're like me, many of us start talking about it, right? And we tell people what we're going to do. And then there can be this weird sense of shame when it doesn't set fire and take off the way you think. Um, and 13 years, 13 years later, I'm a New York Times bestselling author. And this just happened in December, right? Like, right, right. So, and now things are really going well. And I had to stop and get a job and freelance write and do all of these different things um, and not give up. And I think that's the most important thing. And you have to reframe what you what your success is going to look like. And amazing for you if the thing that you dream of and want to do just takes off. And um, although honestly, I even think from the outside, the people we're looking at and saying, well, that looks so easy and it just took off. They probably have a similar story where they were doing a lot of stuff in the background that people didn't know about. So it just takes determination and patience. And it is also okay if you have little kids and you just need to take a step back for a year. Like, I don't think it's true that the world is not going to be waiting for you when you emerge. Like I did sort of feel like, oh, things have changed a bit when I started trying to freelance again, but you can't, you can't do it all either. Like we can't, you sh and you shouldn't have to. So it's okay to slow down a little and keep your dreams simmering on the back burner, which is what I did a, a bit. Um, my first novel came out Oh gosh, I think I was 35. Actually, I know I was 35 because I made it on this hilarious 35 over 35 list. Like there's this 35 <laughs> under 35 list for publishing that's like all the young ingenues. And then I got on this, like, it's never too late to publish a book. And I was like, oh my God, I just turned 35. <laughs> and I didn't even realize like it was 
too late. That's so um, funny. Yeah. And then it's been, you know, it's been a bit of a, a slog in some ways and I've just had to work my ass off and it's used to mean late nights. And I think at a certain point, maybe around 40 late nights are impossible. So now I do early mornings or, um, you know, as I said, my kids are more independent. Um, like they don't need me to cook for like breakfast for them so I can just keep working in the morning. Um, yeah. but I'm useless by three. So it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a marathon. It's a marathon, but it's, it's, it's so relatable. And I think it's such a beautiful story and we'll get into the Reese and lucky and all those things later, but that I think is where the grit is, right? The grit shows through to me and sort of this thing where like, I think people expect this sort of overnight success. And I think with the advent of social media, where somebody goes like this to the screen and they tap the screen once and they don't understand that it was many, many, many hours, months, mm-hmm. uh, things happen. Things don't happen overnight. It, it's not that magic. Right. Um, some people do like sort of strike rich, uh, very early with a, a bestseller from the get go. But I think I read a stat recently cause I just spoke to a publisher was my last interview. We did, um, last week, actually. Um, she's a local publisher that publishes memoirs and, um, she was saying like the, the statistics are crazy. How many books are published every single day in North America? It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's like 3 million books are published every year. People are self authoring more and more. Um, tell me what it was like then um, you published your first book. Tell us to the second book. When did that happen? What was that sort of story like? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it really is a marathon. Like every single book has a story. My first book was actually my third book. Like I wrote one, didn't get published. Second book, nobody wanted it. And third book did get published. And so I thought, okay, Nating for Life, I've got a great deal. I'm with um, Simon & Schuster, which is a great, you know, one of the big five publishers and I'm good. And then um, second novels are really very difficult uh, for some reason. I was just talking about it with some author friends today because we were laughing because this big name author tweeted that she liked her second book much better, actually better than, and was finding it easier than her first book. And I was like, I think she's a sociopath. That's impossible. Like the second book is so hard and I don't know anyone who doesn't feel that way. And I certainly found things to do and it's raining hard to write. And my editor at Simon and Schuster got let go. So my book was orphaned as they call it. Um, and it took a long time. It took years to try to get it off the ground. And I only, I sold it in Canada, finally sold it in the U S wasn't really, it was a huge step down from the advance I'd, I'd received for mating for life. So I started to think, okay, this I've tried. My husband has been so supportive. I, I think I need to get a job again. And at that point, I wasn't sure what to do because magazines or, you know, journalism has been sort of, there's not a ton of jobs. So I applied to graduate school. I was going to be a librarian. Um, and I was waiting to hear back about that. And then this incredible thing happened in Germany where there was a five publisher auction in Germany four things to do when it's raining for the translation rights. And normally a foreign deal is like the top could be maybe $10,000. And this was a lot more than that. Like it, my husband actually was almost in tears when, when we finally got how much I was going to get for this book in Germany uh-huh. um, out of nowhere. And it just it saved my career. It gave me about two years to, um, to, to not have to have a job. <laughs> other than my writing, which up until that point really hadn't made very much money. So that was like, 
you know, stop two on the marathon was things to do in its raining, which did very well in Germany and it did okay here. Um, and then I wrote the last resort, which was a Canadian bestseller. It was optioned, but didn't end up getting made because of COVID. Um, so at that point I was starting to think, okay, I can't, I'm not going to go to school. I, I need something else though. So I, I thought of the writing holiday rom-coms idea because Holiday rom-coms are a really easy sell for me. I love yes. them, like around, you know, yes. Hallmark movies or those yes. books. If I walk by a table and there's, a, I'll just grab them. So I was talking with Karma and we were just saying, you know, what could we do that would just be fun for us? And also, you know, a bit of a moneymaker. So we wrote the holiday swap and that was my backup plan. Like that was sort of my graduate school librarian backup plan. And I actually wasn't sure. Um, mid-career author is a hard, I think it's hard to be mid-career anywhere, but I was sort of starting to feel like my other titles were a bit unstable and Lucky was going to come out, but if it didn't set the world on fire, maybe my next book wouldn't, publishers wouldn't want it. Like that's how, how challenging this industry is. My God, I can't even imagine Marissa. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll pause there because I think what I see and what I hear from so many women who are entrepreneurs, I would say 40% of our fans and followers fall into the category of they have a dream, they're pushing for something. And I think they get to a certain time, maybe it's three years in or five years in where they've been really pursuing something. Maybe they're not so profitable yet. And they're just sort of like, what am I doing? Like, why? This is a hobby. This isn't a career. I can't keep doing this. And what I think is so inspi- inspirational is that you were able to be creative. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I reference it not that often. It's been a long time since I referenced Cheryl Sandberg. It's been a really long time. But, you know, she talks about a woman's career as not lateral like the men's are, but the monkey bars, right? You swing to what comes into your hand mm. and you freaking saw the rom-com and you fucking grabbed it, right? And yeah. it got you to the next piece. So fuck yeah, like bring, <laughs> bring on that moment. Word from our mom, Halo podcast sponsor. Who needs superheroes when we have moms? A hundred locations across the country and in the United States. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. And with 20 years of experience in the child care space comes a ton of innovation in how they cater to their families. They have in-classroom webcams, an app that provides daily updates for parents, a from-scratch menu, and wonderful high-quality educators. These are just a few of the amazing things about kids and company. My daughter attends one of their centers and I can vouch for how incredible they are far beyond others we've attended. They're offering families who register and start care by July 31st, 2022, a waived registration fee. That applies to new registrations only. Call their team at one 800 Co and use the code MOMHALO to register for this offer. You won't regret it. Friends. Designed with you and your little one in mind, Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers ticks all the boxes. Affordable, safe on sensitive skin, deliciously soft and super absorbent. Plus, their unique design provides up to 12 hours of leak production to keep your baby comfy and dry day and night. Join the thousands of parents making the switch and say goodbye to leaks. Shop Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers, Training Pants and Sensitive Wipes at Walmart today.
this. And I, you know, I will say like, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Like you can't. And I know it was kind of heartbreaking because I love writing the type of books that I write, which are, you know, emotional um, stories about the, you know, inner lives of, of women and family dramas and, you know, Lucky being a con artist with a, with a heart of gold and a really complicated family backstory who, who cannot achieve her dreams because she's wanted by the FBI for a really bad decision she's made. And, um, but that was, I, I wasn't going to sit there and go, well, if I can't write that, I can't write anything. Like I had to, to think of something and I, I had, I love writing. I'll write anything and I think I can. So, um, I really loved writing the rom-com. So it wasn't like the end of the world that I had these successful rom-coms that I could probably right. do writing, but right. there was still a little part of me that was there. It was a, a loss. I felt like I was, I wasn't sure what would happen. And so when the, the Reese's pick happened, um, it was, it was absolutely the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me. Like I'm going to pause you. I'm going to pause you. Cause I, <laughs> okay. want, I want to take people through a bit. What, okay. So um, on Amazon, there are 3,733 four-star reviews of this book. The first particular um, I'm just getting shivers reading it is the first, you know, product description and review is by Reese Rizespoon, who like literally is the golden girl of our generation for sure. She sort of has that Oprah touch, you know, where Oprah sort of handed her the golden baton and now she does an electric story about an unconventional heroine who is on the run from her past with a winning lottery ticket that could change her life uh, future forever. But here's the catch. She can't cash it in. I loved all the twists and turns of this adventure, not knowing where Lucky was going to end up next. Like, come on. And just the accolades and Toronto star and karma Brown and book list publisher weekly. I mean, it, the, the list goes on and on and on. And then the actual um, people reviewing it, like actual, just regular um, writers just saying how amazing it is um, and how masterful paced it was as a crime um, caper. So I just, I think it's just good for you, honey. Just like, <laughs> let's just give you an applause. Cause this is, this is really the dream. So, th okay. So take us through the Reese piece. What happened there? So this was back in September. So the, the Reese's pick got announced in December. Um, Lucky was coming. Lucky had already been released in Canada in April and it did. Okay. It was fine. Uh, it was coming out in, in the U S on December 7th with Simon and Schuster Canada, just distributing it. Like I, I actually did not sell Lucky into the U.S. with a separate publisher. So Simon and Schuster Canada was taking. They can. There's distribution deals. So we had that. I had. I mean, when I say I had zero hope for the U.S. release, I mean it like less than zero. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was thinking about my next rom com, um, and my agent asked if I wanted to have dinner and have a catch up, and I have a great relationship with her, so it wasn't weird to be asked out for dinner. So I met her at a restaurant, and my editor, who by the way is Anita Pronovo otherwise known as Nita Prose, who wrote The Maid, which is like this crazy bestseller right now. Yes. Um, this was before The Maid had come out. And she, of course, would have had her own news at the time about the Good Morning America pick. And it was all, everything's confidential. So she was sitting at the table and I I saw her from across the street because they were on a patio. It was, some, it was still warm. And I was like, oh, well, that's nice that Nita's there. And I immediately felt really emotional because I was like, oh my gosh, I sort of was feeling like a bit of a failure in that department. So the fact that they were taking me out for dinner and it was like, this is so nice. But then I had this moment of, oh God, what if, like, what if this is not good news? What if uh -huh. you know, they're telling me 
my career is over. Like this is where authors' minds go. <laughs> so I get to yeah. the table and they have champagne. And I was like, okay, this is this is weird. Like, are they gonna break this to me gently? Because I had bad news once about things to do when it's raining. And, and my agent had taken me out for lunch. And when the waitress said, Do you want a glass of wine? I said no. And she said, Yes, actually, she'll take one. And I was like, Oh my God, why am I day drinking? Like this is so anyway, there's champagne on the table. I sit down, we're making small talk. I'm super nervous. So I'm blabbering on about whatever. And then um, Nita said, we, we want to propose a toast, but we, we have something to tell you. And then my agent started taping with her phone recording. Okay. And, and I, I, and I will, I had no idea. Like I could not think of what it could be. Yeah. And then Nita said, we have news. It's very confidential uh, about your U S release. Lucky is a Reese's book club pick for December. And I posted the the video on my um, Instagram. I should put it on my permanent grid. And I just started crying, like crying um, because I know what this means. As you said, this is the golden ticket and it doesn't happen. It's never happened to a Canadian author before. It was not even on my radar of things to hope or dream for. Like I never even would set myself up for that kind of disappointment to hope this would happen. Um, it had gotten into her hands through a literary scout. She loved it. And that was it. And, and my editor looked at me and said that everything changes now, everything. Uh-huh. And it's true. Like everything has changed. Um, and wow. 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 So, so just, I just, you're a storyteller and I'm so keen to hear <laughs> how you tell this story. Wow. I can't even imagine. And it's so funny how our previous experiences inform our current experiences. You're seeing these women across the street. You're like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) They're going to ambush me and tell me something terrible. And then this thing that you didn't even know, right? Like some people say my five-year dream is I want to be a Ted, I want to do a Ted talk or I want to, you know, do a Netflix series or something. You're like, I have no, what the hell is this? (laughs) And you're like, Reese Witherspoon has picked your book as a book. And you're like, just dramatic. Like I couldn't even imagine the rush oh, just of what dramatic that tears. And I watched it over and over because I was looking to see if there was a moment. I, what I like about the watching it is that even though I wasn't hoping and dreaming for this, I immediately started to cry. I did not say what, can you repeat that? Are you sure? Like I at least believed that even though I wasn't hoping and dreaming actively, I, I, the emo- the flood of emotion was like, Oh, thank God. Like, this is amazing. You know, this is, um, but I was not in disbelief, although I did move to that after. And I, I actually started getting it in my head that like, there was another book called lucky coming out about Joe Biden getting elected. And I was like, are you sure it's not that one? And they're like, no, uh, it's definitely this one. Um, but I also lived in fear of somehow screwing up the secret because you're supposed to keep it highly confidential and God knows what happens if it leaks, which which it did like a million times. Um, so I couldn't tell anybody. I, I sort of went underground for three months because I'm bad with secrets. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so people would be like, how are you? And I'd be like, I'm fine. I have really big news that I can't tell you until December <laughs> 7th. Like it was absurd. So it was a relief when, when I could talk about it. And that quote that you read from Reese, like that's directly from the video that she did on the day that was released. And we happened to be in Los Angeles at the time uh, because I ended up getting invited to go and, and do an event and meet Reese and her team which was incredible. Reese uh, is just as incredible as she seems. Um, She is genuinely the kind of woman who cares about uplifting women's stories. Um, She sent me emails the week before just 
you know, getting in touch, wanting me to know how much she genuinely loved the book, like just great stuff. And then when we met, had a lot of really kind and specific things to say about Lucky, the character. And um, it was amazing. Like just, and I watched since then, I watched the other authors who get elevated by this. And I noticed it's not shiny debut novelists. A lot of authors are even older than I am. <laughs> You know, like um, <laughs> 3T Umargar, I believe, is in her 60s. It's, you know, her third or fourth novel. Um, a lot of mid-career authors, like she's not out gunning for the, or looking for the, um, the next hottest, shiny, hottest yeah. thing, yeah. which is another reason why, you know, you have to see this is a marathon and don't give up because no matter what it is, um, because I hope and think the world is changing as more women become successful. And even looking at Reese, like she, she was considered washed up apparently after she got her Oscar and, uh, and then completely re reinvented herself. Anybody can do it. It's, so. it's, it's so remarkable. I couldn't imagine that moment. Um, I love this so much and I don't even know what I want to ask you because I have so many questions. So I know, for instance, that that we, I was just informed by Carrie as part of the thing that we're doing with this particular podcast interviewing today is that we're launching our new, our first book club. Uh, we've had a book club before, but it was pretty small and pretty dinky, but we're blowing it up and we're starting with Lucky. So that's our book that of choice. Um, and obviously this was inspired by you and about by all of this. Um, what do you think it is about books that just this this ultimate medium the medium that will never die what do you think is about paper and pen and flipping pages why as an author i'm curious why do you think books will always um persevere regardless of how many comms comes through you know what was marshall McLuhan thinking what why does printing press matter why do you think books matter I mean, I think it, I have given this a lot of thought because the world is a topsy-turvy place and it continues to be. And we, you know, publishing is always bracing for the end and, you know, eBooks were going to ruin everything. And, and then they didn't. In fact, they actually brought a whole new subset of readers to, to the table who um, like a whole conversation for another day about how like romance readers could read more romance and not have to be embarrassed for people to see what they're reading, which I think you should never be embarrassed about what you're reading unless I'm not going to say anything, but you know, like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, where did it, was I going? Yeah. So, and then the pandemic people, publishers were worried and book sales have never been higher and independent books bookstores are doing better than ever, which is incredible. Wow. I think yeah. everyone would just be getting stuff from Amazon. Um, and I think it's because there are a lot of instincts that we have as human beings. And one of those instincts and, and comforts and something that's bred into us is this telling of stories. Like from the first time someone put a cave painting on a, on, a, on the wall of a cave, right? We want stories. We have a hunger for stories. We love being told stories from childhood. Like there's nothing more comforting than having a parent read you a story. And we love reading stories to our kids. So I think that... I mean, I can't say if, you know, in another 20, 30 years, there will be as much of a love for printed books. Maybe stories will be received in different ways. I, I'm not sure. I certainly hope that the printed book love lives on, but I just think we love stories and we love stories 
told well. And I think it's something really beautiful about humanity. Uh, and then stories unite us, right? And that's why women and people love being in book clubs because you can all read the same story and then it connects you. Even if you don't know the woman sitting beside you very well at this book club you go to, or you're just getting to know her, if you've both read the same story, you have that link and you can talk about that. I think I agree with you completely. I think it's just one of those magical moments that is the first time you learn to read. It is a an obsession with storytelling. And I do think that to some degree, some of these social mediums, even though they are sort of new, the new business card, right? You there's something about writing that book that that is so crucial and, and it is something that will never die. I agree entirely. Um, okay, so what's the dream next for you? What are you thinking about? Is 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 the ultimate dream Lucky turns into a Netflix series that Reese produces? Are we like what do you think the next big thing is for you? Because I'm so curious about you know sort of when the story. I for me, my curiosity is when the story becomes like a a, a a screenplay that turns into a television show. And is that what everybody wants then when they write a book like this? Is that what, is that what you're looking for? You think when you thought about what the dream was when it wasn't Reese's, you know, book club, what was that dream you were thinking about? If you don't mind sharing. No, it's fine. I lucky. I always wanted lucky to be a TV show. And then I actually, when I first came up with the idea, I told my agent, I was going to write a pilot, which I did. And she was, she kept saying could be a book. And I was like, no, it's a TV show. And then I realized she was right. Um, And Lucky was already optioned once by ABC with, and I worked with Carlton Cuse, who's co-creator of Lost, who's incredible. And we had meetings and like COVID, so we had to walk through High Park. And he's this incredible mentor who taught me a lot about screenwriting and TV development. Um, But we couldn't get it off the ground the way we wanted to. So Um, I can't, like, it's kind of, it is confidential, but I mean, it got optioned again by someone else who we may have been talking about in this call. (laughs) And um, I'm, I'm just hoping that, that they can get it off the ground as a show and they have some great ideas. Um, And that is, that is my ultimate dream for Lucky. Um, But I've also learned that the TV, film and TV world is really, really tricky. Um, So I'm trying to just, you know, let that dream be a dream that if it happens, amazing. Um, and I mean, if it doesn't happen, there's also, I have, it's actually being officially announced on Tuesday, things to do when it's raining was optioned by a great new Canadian producing production company called Blink, Blink 49. So that'll be out um, within a couple of days. And they're really keen on trying to get that to Netflix Canada. So things to do when it's raining could, could also become a show. There's some stuff happening with the last resort. Like there's a lot of interest in my backlist right now. And then my, my next novel um, that I'm writing right now, it's called the lightning bottles. Um, I, I hope that one, like, I hope one of them becomes a TV show. So that's, that's my dream. And I, I would love it to be lucky because I think lucky would make a great TV show. And I'd love to hear what the community thinks when they read it. If, um, if they absolutely, feel- mm-hmm. it's funny every, I find every year we're sort of pulled towards someone literally, somebody in literature. We just always find somebody mm-hmm. and uh, 2019, right before the pandemic, I just think it was an appropriate age stage for our community was uh, Pamela um, 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 Ackerman, Ackerman. She's um, anyways. She, yeah, that's familiar. Yeah. She's uh, she wrote uh, Raising Bebe, which was like a handbook for how to oh, yes, 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 yeah, yes, get yes, through. Yes. Um, anyways. And she wrote a secondary book. that was a kid's book about Paris by phone. Cause they are like us expats living in Paris and living a very Parisian life. And so much of her parenting was informed by how, 
Parisian moms do stuff. And it's so mm-hmm. such a far cry from how North American families um, learn and teach. And there, there's some really nice lessons there. So every year we're sort of attracted to some of the literary. And I think your, your story is interesting. The book is interesting, but I think you persevering, starting as a young mom, sort of like seeing this sort of, um, you know, this golden moment that has happened to you and where it's sort of catapulting you now in the ecosystem that you're now sort of entering. To me, that's, that's the story. I mean, honestly, Marissa, what an accomplishment. Congratulations to you. What a gorgeous, really like, I'm so fucking inspired by this call. <laughs> I have it. no fine. idea. I just think <laughs> also think, you know, it's, we're, we're recording this in sort of the middle of March, 2022, this weekend indicates like the beginning of the third year of lockdown and pandemic. And I think so much has changed really at the core of who we are as a nation, as a world of, you know, and I think when you hear a story like this, it just, it's moving, right? Your story is moving in itself. So as a storyteller, your sort of rise to this moment is, is just so beautiful. So thank you for sharing with us. Um, Marissa, if there- so That's nice. You know what? Because you get used to it after a while and it's been three months now the other day. And so I still get tingles thinking about Reese and all of that, but it's when I tell the story, it's so nice that people, it resonates with people. Cause it resonates highly. <laughs> I'm going to ask you more before we part here today, is there one piece of advice or something you want to share I always call this like our eulogy moment. Um, I don't always share that with our with our guests, but I'll say that to you. If there's one thing that you want people to hear and they hear nothing else, is there something you want to impart today um, to our fans and, and followers and friends? Because if there's one sort of pearl of wisdom in this entirety of the conversation, what do you want people to hear? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I believe, okay, this, there's so much I would say, but I think especially from the from the angle of also being a mom, um, I think that you have got to be gentle with yourself and go back to what I said earlier about persevering and not giving up, but understanding that there may be times where you have to pull back and reevaluate and maybe um, take a fork in the road. And that does not mean that you're giving up. And so just, and also let go of what other people think of you, what other people expect of you, and just go with what you know is right for yourself and for your family. There's no, it's certainly not a failure to take a step back and focus on, on your children, uh, whether they're young or going through something. Um, and just remember that you can come back and that diverging from what you thought was your path is not failure. And I think that that that's the best advice that I can give. And just I love and to that not so much. Give, right. Because the other I will finally the final thing I will say too is your kids notice it. Now that my kids are teenagers, I will say they came to LA, they were there, like they thought it was the coolest thing. My teenagers thought I was cool that this was happening to me. So they have seen over the years how hard I've worked. They've seen the disappointments, they've seen me, you know, in not some great places professionally, but they've also seen this result. And so you're setting an example for your kids in putting one foot in front of the other and working hard, but also taking care of them when you need to. And yeah, I don't know. That's all I can say. It's oh, just, that it, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> and I think for so many women, they are at crossroads. They took the leap. Maybe it's not, you know, coming to fruition right this second, but to know that sometimes it takes time. It's not five minutes. It might not even be five years. It can be a decade before you really see that ROI. And, you know, I, I love that idea. You know, if you need to take a desk job, 
to make the ends meet for, for, for a minute, it's a minute in the, in the snapshot of your life. And to just really keep your eye focused on that sort of thing. Cause you never know when you're going to get lucky. I have to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to say it. it. There you go. Uh, Marissa, thank you so much. Let's talk about your coordinates. If somebody wants to follow you on Instagram, can you tell us where to find you or your website and all that good stuff? Yeah. So it's at Marissa Stapley for Instagram, which I'm on uh, Twitter, not as often. And then um, my website is marissastapley.com. So that's where you can find me. I will be a little off Instagram-ish for the next few months because I'm working on another two novels, but um, you know, I'm always sort of there. So I love it. <laughs> everybody, let's give a warm halo. Thank you to Marissa. Woo! Thank you for being with us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great one. Bye. Halo podcast. I love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. What's possible in pediatrics? Also, children can lead healthier, happier lives. In 2021, Project Halo raised over $150,000 to help build a new sick kids, designed to better serve patients and families. This will include spaces devoted to parents and caregivers, spaces to feel calm, relief, and rest. We are calling on our community again this year to join us in helping build a state-of-the-art hospital. Together, there are no limits to what we can achieve. To learn more and to donate, go to fundraise.sickkidsfoundation.com backslash Project Mom Halo. Thank you for your generosity and support.